we, we bless you today, Lord. You, you are the God who answers prayers. And sometimes it can be so hard, Lord, to even come and pray. But the number of times that um, when we do pray and we, and we see something happen. And so even this morning, Lord, as we, as we heard these stories, Lord, I, I pray for um, you pray for the people that are here, uh, for the people that are, are watching at home yeah, or not. Uh, but Lord, that um, you'd, you'd break through in our lives, Father. Uh, whether, whether it's healing that we need, uh, provision, whether it's strength to get through the day, whether it's uh, like job opportunities, Father, that there would be, be that breakthrough. And we worship you, God. Thank you, Lord. Mm, amen. Mm. Yeah. So about a year ago, if you can remember back that far, we were tracking through the book of Exodus, uh, taking our time journeying with the Israelites. And we got about halfway. Uh, we did all the exciting stuff. And we got to about halfway and then we paused. And that was because Christmas and things like that were coming up. Uh, but, now, but now I feel like it's time to pick it, pick it up again. And I think it follows really well from what you know, we've been talking about, the kingdom of God. And, and it follows like so, so well on, on from that. But I feel like we should pick it up. Like, but it's unfinished business. <laughs> like God will, like God will speak to us, to our, to our situations, and and also to where we're heading, to our futures. And uh, like this book, it's a it's an ancient book, isn't it? Like a few thousand years old. It, um, but but it speaks to it speaks to us. It, um, it highlights it like highlights really important aspects of following God. Uh, this story is, is our story. Sometimes we can, we sort of like might read the Old Testament and think of it as being like other, other people. And it is other people, like the thousands of years ago. But, but it's our story because we as, as the church, as the people of God have been grafted in to the people of God that we read about. So this history is our history. And also this book, uh, Exodus, it's, it's a book that shapes a lot of the Old Testament. You know, the, um, the, the writer of this book, the story is about mainly about Moses. Moses is... Um, is you know thought of as the as the author of the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, the Pentateuch. He so he wrote it, and so anyway, it's almost like it's almost like I was thinking about it. Like Exodus is a bit like the, like the gospel, like the gospels of of the Old Testament. Not that Moses is Jesus, but Moses is pretty great. Uh, and, and a lot of the a lot of the Bible, a lot of the Old Testament and the New Testament, all look back and they kind of all connect in with with this with this one book. Well, not just this one book, but Exodus is sort of like that that key. God is God. He is unchanging. The God we worship, you know, we worshipped him in song this morning. And, and if you're like me, you just want to encounter God. The God we long to encounter is the same God who encounters the Israelites in, in this book. And he leads them to this place of worship. So this morning, I'm going to do a bit of a refresher, tell, retell the story a little bit, and then, and then get to um, hone in on a couple of aspects that, uh, that I think are important that connect with us today and into the future. So here's my retelling. <clears throat> the Israelites, also called, also called the Hebrews, they've been in Egypt for over 400 years, 430 years. They arrived as a, as a family, a clan of about 70 people. But over the, over the years, they've grown to a great number as God blessed them. He blessed them to multiply and they filled the land. And so to start with, when they first arrived in, in Egypt, they were honoured and, and sort of like uh, treated well. But, but now when we pick up Exodus, they're despised, they're mistreated, they're oppressed, they're forced into slavery. It says, into, uh, it says in Exodus 1.12, 
Awesome, the clicker's working, everybody. Yay! Um, That the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service. In mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field, in all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. That this is a this is a bad situation, a bad scene, and this bad situation got worse. Then uh, Pharaoh, he's, who's the, the so-called the God King of Egypt, he commanded that all the sons born to the Israelites should be killed by throwing them into the Nile River. Like this, uh, sometimes it, it, we um, we might glamorize the story a little bit. We've seen cartoons and things like that, but this is horrendous. This is pure evil, infanticide. Pharaoh is, a, is like an ancient Hitler, or Stalin, or Pol Pot, or these you know, current people that you can think of. He's a man that's so bent on evil, it's like he's a personification of evil. And then into this horrific context, a baby boy is born, and, and the family keeps him secret for as long as they could. But when he was three months old, like my, my son Eli, He's 16 months now, so I, I can still remember when he was three months. When he was three months, he's tiny, vulnerable. And when he was three months old, this boy, they cast him into the Nile, into the river. And they took, a, they took some precautions, you know. They, they made a little boat a little boat for him made of bulrushes, and they made it watertight with tar. And, and you read the story, and it's like they're hoping against hope that, that somehow this baby, this three-month-old baby, is not going to die. Brutal, hey. But, but somehow, somehow he was rescued. I mean, this is a miracle because he was rescued by none other than the daughter of, of Pharaoh, the ancient Hitler. His daughter sees this baby boy. And she know, she'll know, she knows that he's an Israelite boy, baby boy, and she rescues him. Pharaoh is the one that commanded all the babies, the baby boys to be killed and his own daughter rescues one. And then she's the one that names him Moses, meaning, meaning drawn out, because she drew him out of the waters. That's incredible. So that's my summary of chapter one and two. Um, so God hears the cries of the Israelites, their cry for rescue from slavery. Their groaning came up to God, and then he intervenes. So Moses, uh, this, is encourage, this is encouraging for the, um, for the elderly amongst us. When Moses is 80 years old, he encounters God at the foot of Mount Sinai. And there's this bush, and it's on fire, but the bush is not being consumed. And then out of this burning bush, God speaks to Moses. He reveals who he is. He reveals his holy name. I am who I am. And in my Bible, uh, this is all in capital letters, because this is his name, Yahweh, the unchanging one. So at this encounter, God then sends Moses to Pharaoh to liberate his people. And and Moses, um, in, in chapter three, Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children out of Israel? Uh, Sorry, bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. He said, but I will be with you and this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Moses is, he's afraid and he's reluctant. He's unsure of himself. He's unsure of the the authority that God and the burning bush has given him. And yet he's, he's obedient. And so, so he goes to Pharaoh, he confronts Pharaoh and says, let my people go. <laughs> or he probably said, please let my people go or whatever, you know. 
But then this, this sort of leads to the spiritual battle, and we talked about this a year ago. Is that ringing bells? Yeah. It, it, it leads to a spiritual battle, supernatural events in which God confronts and overthrows the gods of Egypt. They're judging them. And in the natural, we see this as, as battles. We see this battle as, as the plagues. Water, the first one, water turns to blood. All of the water turns to blood. Frogs and their gnats and their flies multiplied out of control. All of the livestock of the Egyptians died. A plague of boils broke out on the skin of the people and the animals. And then there's a major storm of thunder and, and hail, which destroys everything. But it says in the Bible, there was thunder, hail and fire. And next there's a plague of, of locusts. Like it's on and on and on. You go, when's it going to end? And then there was COVID. No, then there was, um, then there was darkness, the plague of darkness. Like, and it talks about like pitch black darkness that they, they couldn't see anything. Covered the land, this darkness covers the land. And each of these plagues is significant because they represent a defeat of the gods of Egypt, one by one, a defeat of the gods of Egypt. God stretches out his mighty hand, or actually one of the, one of the Egyptian magicians, he goes, God, the finger, this is the finger of God. So God stretches out his finger and defeats their gods. He reveals his absolute superiority and power over them. In the New Testament, Paul writes, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Yes, that's 2 Corinthians 10, 3. So the, the, then there's the final plague, the final plague. Back at the beginning of, remember, back at the beginning of Exodus, Pharaoh had commanded all of the Israelite baby boys to be killed. That Pharaoh then died. And it's his son who, who Moses is now confronting. Pharaoh was regarded as, as a god. He was a king, but he was regarded, regarded as a god, a deity. So his son is the son of God. And so in this final plague, God took the lives of all of the firstborn in the land of Egypt, including the firstborn of Pharaoh who, who sat on his throne. Just think about that. Like remember the, 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 the older Pharaoh, he's the one that commanded all the baby boys to be killed. And now God takes all of the, you know, takes the lives of all the firstborn apart from the, apart from the Israelites. This is justice, this is judgment. This is a spiritual victory, and it has to happen for the physical, for the physical, physical victory, for the people to be able to leave the land, the liberation of the Israelites. So then finally, Pharaoh agrees to, to free the Israelites. In fact, now the Egyptians, it says the Egyptians are desperate for them to leave. It uses language like it says, they were urgent with the people to send them out. Was, they were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste. They were thrust out of Egypt, like pushed out. When I, when, I hear, when I hear that language, I kind of think of, of birth, like thrust out of the land, pushed out. God then leads the Israelites, and, and it says that there were 600,000 men. So there might have been well over a million, a million people. And he leads them to the Red Sea. And there at the Red Sea, the Lord parts the waters, dividing, them, dividing the waters so the Israelites can pass through and they walk through on dry land. But when Pharaoh follows them with his armies, the sea, the waters rush back in. And the enemy is defeated, drowned in the waters. 
You remember at the beginning, uh, Moses is, 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 is cast into the Nile, like the baby boys are thrown into the Nile to be killed. And now we've got the waters like coming in and defeating the Pharaoh and, and his armies. Moses was the first Israelite who was drawn out of the waters. Remember his name, drawn out. He was the first Israelite to be drawn out. And then now he leads all of the Israelites and they're all drawn out of the waters. Yeah, that's cool, hey? I know I'm going through quite quick, but there's these cool things. You go, there's... And, and of course, also when I kind of go through this, I go, oh my goodness, Moses is like this precursor to Jesus. Hey, God leads them. He leads them by a, a pillar of cloud, by fire, a, a pillar of cloud by day and a, and a pillar of fire by night. This is his very own presence leading, leading this, this population of Israel. And he leads them to the foot of Mount Sinai where, where he meets with them. And in this encounter with the divine creator of the universe, there's this, there's this incredible display of his power. Thunder and lightning, the sound of trumpets blasting, thick cloud over the mountain, and, and the mountain trembles because of the power of God. But, it, but it's more than that. It's the holiness of God, like the place where they are is, is a holy place. Where Moses first met with the Lord at the burning bush, it was, it was the same place at Mount Sinai. In chapter three, it calls it, Mount, it calls it Horeb, but it's the mountain of the Lord, it's the same place. At that place, at that time, Yahweh told Moses to take the sandals off his feet, remove your sandals because the place that you're standing on is holy ground. It's holy because of the, because of the presence of the Lord. Moses, Moses hid his face because he's afraid to look at God. Like, like holiness, we, we sometimes sing about holiness and it can sometimes be like this, this, this kind of like this distant thing or this concept, but it, but it has substance, like it has power. Like holiness is, is connected to God. True holiness is always connected to God and it's powerful. I've got this. That's a really quick. It's a really quick and really superficial overview of 19 chapters of Exodus, the whole series we did last year. That took us a few months, but I would really love. I, I, I strongly recommend <laughs> that you go back through it and, and just read it, like right from the start. And as you read, invite the Holy Spirit to, to highlight things and, and to speak from to speak to you. You might be really familiar with it, but the Holy Spirit, I believe, will, will speak to you as you read. The first 19 chapters of Exodus are the action-packed ones. They're the ones all the movies are based on, you know? And then around chapter, two, chapter 20, things kind of change. And we begin to read about laws and covenants, instructions for festivals and feasts, like how to build a tabernacle. You want to know how to build a tabernacle? Yeah, it's an Exodus. <laughs> The dwelling place for God, instructions for the peace, uh, instructions for the priests, and, and and it can get well, it can get boring to be honest. <laughs> it gets a bit bewildering, like it's all been oh, action, 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 action. Oh man, laws, covenants, what the heck? Excuse me, I shouldn't have said that. What the goodness? What the? <laughs> ah, heck's all right. I'm sure it's all right. Don't worry about it. What the flip? <laughs> That's what Christians say. Hey? <laughs> It's not what my workmates at university say, but won't go there. Uh, it can get it can get a bit bewildering, eh? And and also a bit distracted. And I think this is often why, and maybe it's why we hit pause when we did, because it gets a bit harder. So it really helps to have a have a bigger a bigger picture of what's going on in, in these books. It's not just not just the rest of Exodus, but Numbers, oh, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, 
Is that right? Okay, what's going on? What's the biggest story? This is the biggest story. So it's a, it's a long, long chapter, and I'm going to be in the way of it. But um, if you open up, you've got your Bible app or a real one, Exodus 19. Quite a cool story, just the way you're doing that. Um, Elena's got this, this tiny little Bible. <laughs> and I opened it up this morning. And it, and it kind of tells the same story. It's a, um... Anyway, I said to Elena, should I read from your tiny little Bible? And she wanted me to. So, this is not the chapter I'm about to read. You're still looking for 19. But this all connects. Exodus 6, 7 from the, my little Bible. Uh, I, will take you, I will take you to me for a people, and I will be to you a God. And ye shall know that I am the Lord your God, which bringeth you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And in, in 20, verse 2, it says, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. <laughs> so Exodus 19, 1. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came to the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim, and came to the wilderness of Sinai. You know, when you say uh, ancient Hebrew words, but you say them with confidence and quickly. Yes. Yeah, that's the way. Everyone, you just thought that I knew, right? Rephidim. They you say quickly. And, and they came to the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel camped, encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my, command, uh, keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you shall speak to the people of Israel. This this. This gives us a glimpse, at least, of the, of the bigger picture of what God, is, what God is up to. What's going on? Here's what I think the key thread is. Exodus is the story of, of a journey home. It's the story of, of the Israelites being removed from Egypt, being set apart by God for God to host His presence and to be hosted by His presence. I'll say it again because I think it's pretty key. Exodus is the, is the story of a journey home. It's the story of the Israelites being removed from Egypt, being set apart by God for God to host His presence and to be hosted by His presence. The Lord rescued them from Egypt and brought them to Himself at the mountain in the middle of the wilderness. Egypt wasn't their, wasn't their home, wasn't their true home. They might have been there 400 years, which is longer than I've lived in Wellington. <laughs> yes. I've only lived here 44 years. <laughs> Apart from when I had my prodigal time in Christchurch. <laughs> 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 
Egypt wasn't their home. Their true home was, was with God, with Him at their centre, even as He surrounds them. Their calling was to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Priests, just quickly, priests worship and serve God. Priests draw close to God and they function as His representatives on earth. The, the people of God, Israel, were to be, be a holy nation. This, this is like a people set apart for God to be a light in the world, a, a light in the darkness. And we'll come back to this, but holiness comes from God. God at the centre, God all around them. And when you try to separate those things, when you try to, try to pretend to be holy without being close to God, it ain't going to work. The, the process of being set apart for God is, guess what? <laughs> a process. And, and this, is what, this is what the rest of the book of Ex- Exodus and then Leviticus and then Numbers and then Deuteronomy are all about. It's about shaping this pe- these people, shaping the people of God to be the people of God. But outwardly, they, they are free, right? Outwardly, they're free from Egypt. But internally, they've got a whole lot of baggage. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> I can relate. Internally, they've got a whole lot of baggage to get rid of. And so this is the journey of, this is a journey of, of, of holiness. This is a journey of, of sanctification, actually, to use a, use a big word. You, you know that cliche, you can't take the boy out of the country. <laughs> oh, sorry, you can take the boy out of the country, but you can't take the country out of the boy. Or you can take the boy out of the hut, but you can't take the hut out of the boy. <laughs> it's a bit like that, eh? God took the Israelites out of Egypt, and, and now, the, now the process is to take Egypt out of the Israelites. And what, what kind of things? There's all kinds of things that they get into. Oh, you know, if you if you know the story, you know it's like the cycle. They they uh, they're naughty. <laughs> they rebel against God. They do something. They they worship idols. They worship an idol. God says them. Gets God. God says to them, "Okay, don't have any more gods before me." First thing they do, worship an idol. And then they come back to God and they, and they repent. And he goes, okay, I'm not gonna wipe you from the face of the earth. And then and they are okay for a while. And then they do something else <laughs> because you've got all this stuff going on in them. But they're learning. They're learning how to be the people of God. Idol worship. They've got worldviews that need to be sorted out. It's hard to change a worldview. <laughs> it's hard to change your worldview. There's cultural practices that, that, are, that are not helpful here. Uh, in a, an example, an example to clarify. In Egypt, the Israelites were slaves every day, day in, day out. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, every day. The Egyptians made their lives bitter with hard service. We read this before, ruthlessly making them work. They were, uh, they were slave labor. Hello, my boy. Do you want to come and have a cuddle? They, they were slaves. They were slave labor. And, and in this, you know, it might have been generations they were slaves. And so they've got the mindset of slaves. I mean, they had to, to survive. <laughs> you've got to be, you've got to have this shift of mindset. They've got to survive. So they had this. But now that they're free, this is something that they have to be set free from. And so the people of God were free externally, but God wants them to experience freedom internally as well. And so we have... We have, the, we, have this, we have this process. In order to reshape them, God commands them to rest. 
And this actually comes before, before the commandments, before the covenants, before the laws and everything. He goes, you got to rest. He, like you can read about it in Exodus, Exodus 16. God provides the food, the manna from heaven. He provides the drink, water from the rock. And he says, every seventh day, guys, every seventh day, you've got to rest. The seventh, and he says, this day, this day is a day of solemn rest. Rest, ah, oh, yes. <laughs> Who's tired? Yeah, man, like all of us. <laughs> rest, we want some of that. Our voice goes squeaky otherwise. <laughs> it's like I'm 13 again. <laughs> it brings back memories of being while he's in college and singing hymns and my voice cracking. Anyway, the, the seventh day is the day of rest. And so, and so this is like a weekly habit, right? Every seventh day, you guys, you've got to rest every seventh day. Actually, God says, this is a holy Sabbath. This is a holy Sabbath. Oh, that's awesome, man. Take a day off. It's holy. He provides for them. He's near to them. This is a weekly habit. It's a rhythm designed to remind them that God is in control. He has set them free. They can trust Him and be free from work. They can rest in Him. So, so Sabbath is designed to reshape them to be more like God and to be holy because God rested on the seventh day. Ah, oh, that's so good. Isn't that good news? And so you read of all these, all these practices and things they happen to do, and I reckon that they're there to kind of like, almost like you have this, you have this, out, this external thing, but it's there designed to, to shape them internally to be more like God. But holiness, I reckon holiness is freedom. I think usually we often hear holiness and it's like, oh man, you just got to repent of your sins and live a better life. And yeah, there's that, there's that but, it, but, it's, but it's there for our freedom. Holiness also, as I mentioned before, holiness become, comes from being in vicinity to God. And, and so does rest. Like I preached a good one on that a few weeks ago. I reckon it was good. <laughs> I talk myself up when I'm, you know. Okay, so how does this connect with us today? Oh, there's so many ways, but I want to highlight, highlight two ways. Uh, first, the first one is, just as God sets the Israelites free, God sets us free. The life of His very own Son, Jesus, paid the price for our freedom. The firstborn from the dead. You know, Moses was the, was the firstborn from the waters of, of the river Nile, but, but Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. The Apostle Paul writes in uh, Romans 8, Romans 8, 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Now this includes you if you're, if you're female as well. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons and daughters of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And the second, second thing I wanna highlight is God is calling us to be a holy nation. Oh man, we've got to be careful with some of those words like nation, eh? God is calling us to be a holy nation. People of God who are set apart for Him to draw close to Him and to represent Him in all that we do. To use New Testament language, to be in the world but not of the world. Holiness is, is powerful, like like I talked about the, the holiness of God on the mountain. It's powerful. 
Moses couldn't even look at God. He had to take off his, his sandals when he was standing on holy ground. Holiness is powerful. And it comes from, like I said before, intimacy with God. That's where we've got to start. And this is, I think, where the Israelites went wrong quite a lot, especially when we read about the Pharisees in the New Testament. They're trying to be holy, but they've lost intimacy with God. Man, we've got to be, oh, like I said it, Lord, that, that, that might be our highest priority, that we would we'd be intimate with you, that we would come close to you. You are our portion. Holiness comes from intimacy with God. And it also comes with a willingness to let go, to sacrifice anything that gets in the way of, of unity with God, of being close to God. Sin and all of its tricky guises and all of its appealing disguises. Yeah, that works. Sin and all of its appealing disguises. The obvious the obvious, like murdering somebody, that's not that appealing actually, to be honest, but I'm pretty, I'm pretty up there with my holiness. Um, <laughs> does that make you feel a bit safer to be around me? I, I don't really have a temptation to murder. Yes, <laughs> that's good. But then there's the subtle things as well that just, that just they, they sneak in. And so we need to, in, the, in this like, walk of holiness and sanctification, we need to ask God to search our hearts and to show us what we need to deal with. These, these things are only going to get in the way. They're only going to keep us in chains instead of living in the freedom that God is calling us to, into. I reckon that a holy nation is, is, is a nation of free people. And I, I've talked about this over the last few weeks about being, uh, being content in all circumstances, being joyful in all circumstances and being free in all circumstances as well. Living in the freedom that God is calling into, you know. Whole, like, uh, like sin and, and the baggage that we end up with, they also keep, they keep, from, they keep us from being His representatives, ready to do His will. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna finish uh, with this, with a scripture. Uh, this is from, this is from Paul. It's an encouragement from Paul. He's writing to Timothy, Second uh, Timothy two twenty. He says this. Now, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honourable use, some for dishonourable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonourable, he will be a vessel for honourable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. He keeps going. He says, so flee. Timothy, flee. Capital Vineyard, flee. <laughs> the church in the, in the nation, right? The church in the nations, flee. Flee youthful passions. Other translations, they, they talk about temptations. Flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with all those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. He carries on. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. <laughs> yes, they do. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Oh, that's a word in season. I don't know what. Yeah, that's amazing, hey? With gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, 
after being captured him, like the Israelites were captured by the Egyptians, right? After being captured by him to do his will. So we're going to go on this journey again, like with the with the Israelites throughout the rest of Exodus. Uh, probably not chapter by chapter, but but picking out on um, like certain themes. But this is like the bigger picture. It's like a journey towards what it, what does it mean to be your sons and daughters, God? Like you, you promised so much. How do we begin like living living towards that? Sound awesome? Yeah, I think there's heaps heaps in there, heaps of promise, heaps of good stuff. Do you want to do you want to stand and we'll we'll pray and just like wait on the Lord for a little bit? One of the things that I've been getting, uh, like, for myself over this last week, but but even in uh, even in other contexts, is is like this this call of God that to to be holy, and and part of that process is going, okay, God, what's in here that I actually need to to give up to you today, you know? And I know, and and sometimes it's actually really good to do that uh, when, when we're gathered here, sometimes, and it's also really good to do it when we're on our own. Um, and this is not the game; like, it's not just like uh, like beating yourself up. Um, but it's like come and come to Jesus and go, Jesus, I've I've got these things and I quite like doing them, but they're getting in my way of, of actually my relationship with you. And I and, and I believe that you're calling me to, to sacrifice them. Um and this and this is like consecrate, you know, reconsecrating ourselves. Oh, those words are so got so much <laughs> heaviness sometimes with them. But I think this is like this is about freedom and about lightness actually. So this is something I think that, um, I don't know, that's always been highlighting for me and, and it might be something that you want to um, participate in today as well. Um, but also our prayer is, is for encounters with him. Like the, like the Israelites encountered God, <laughs> Moses encountered God, he delivered them. So perhaps God is you know, delivering people this morning. You know, when we pray for people to be healed, we're actually praying for people to be he- delivered from, from a sickness, yeah? from, a, from physical sickness. That's deliverance. When we're praying for provision, you know, we've heard testimonies of new jobs and things like that. When we pray for provision, again, like it's that's deliverance. That's deliverance into into God's provision where He provides. Instead of being slaves, He's providing. Holy Spirit. <laughs> yeah, we do. Thank you. Your Holy Spirit, you're the, you're the same God who who set the people of Israel free thousands of years ago. You you defeated the gods of Egypt. You won the spiritual battle and then you won the physical, the natural battle. And you led the Israelites to freedom. We thank you for them. Thank you for Moses. Thank you for his obedience, even though he was afraid, unsure of himself and nervous. Thank you, Lord, that you established them as a nation. Oh, you're the same God. You're the same God who who sent Jesus and Jesus came and died on the cross for us, making a way that we can come into your family to pass through your waters and your blood to be clothed in, in your righteousness so that we can be can we we, ah, we can be holy in you, God, like covered by you. You're the same God. You're the same God that's here in this place, Lord, whether we feel you or not. You're God. So we, I, we invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and, come and speak to us, God. None of us have got it all together. Not one. Some of us have been on the journey for longer than others. But none of us have got it together. Holy Spirit, we invite you. We, we invite you to come and, um, and speak to us, God. Uh, Lord, that you would, would highlight, the, highlight those things that are in our lives that, that actually are getting in the way. 
And he might be inviting us in, into a journey, or like, a, like a process of actually remo- like a removing those things or, or maybe we need to sacrifice them or let them go. And it might be a journey. It might take a moment. It might take days. It might take weeks. It might take our entire lives, Lord. But it's all towards drawing closer to you, God. So come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father.